If you're like me, you love and miss that golden era of Christian music. From the Jesus music of the 70s, the monster vocalists of the 80s, and the creativity and risk-taking of the 90s and early 2000s. I'm Andy Chrisman, and for the past four decades, I was privileged to be smack dab in the middle of this crazy and beautiful thing that we call CCM. As a member of the group for him, I got to know so many great people with even greater stories. And I don't want to keep these stories to myself. That's why I created One Degree of Andy, so you can join me as I reminisce with my friends and colleagues. My hope is that as you experience these conversations, you'll go back and listen to that golden era of music and fall in love all over again, just like I have. This is the One Degree of Andy podcast. Hey, before we get started, I wanted to give a shout out to Jason Owen from Jinx, Oklahoma, which is just right down the road from where I live here in Tulsa. So Jason correctly guessed that my guest a couple of episodes back was Jody McBrayer of Avalon. And if you think my guests up to this point have been amazing to listen to, well, just wait until you see who pops up in the coming weeks. I'm very excited about the guest list coming up. Uh, So many of you have been so kind with your feedback about the podcast, and I want you to know I read every single one of your posts. And if you haven't yet, give me a follow on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and stay up to date with the show. Also, leave me a review when you listen and make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. Now, here is my special guest, my friend, Michael O'Brien. If you hang around long enough in the music industry, you'll develop a fair number of relationships, both professional and personal. But it's the people you meet, do ministry with, and ultimately share a common legacy with that end up being the people you're most excited to sit down with in the years that follow. Michael O'Brien and I were label mates at Benson Records, and we spent time together on the CCM trail for a number of years, and it's always time well spent. And we were just talking, it's been like six years since we sat down and had lunch together. It just it just feels like it was like a couple years ago. Um, but we love getting together and catching up on each other's lives, and there's no way to be, there's no better way to do that than with all of our listeners right here with us. So. Michael, welcome to the One Degree Podcast, man. I'm I'm excited to catch up with you today. Brother Andy, it is uh, kind of surreal in a sense because I was such a for him huge fan back when y'all <laughs> before you were actually even for him. I went to a concert in California, uh, and you were you guys were just about to break off. Well, so we were still with Truth then. Yeah, yeah. We're at in California. It was San Diego, and. Uh, Mark was saying, "Yeah, we're about to leave. They're going to be looking for four new guys." Because I, I, you know, I had, I was like a truth wannabe. You know, it's yeah. like I, I never made it. It just wasn't what the Lord wanted for my life. So, did you uh, audition? But, uh, I did back. Believe it or not, when Mike Eldred was in the group in 1986. That's who I. That's whose place I took. I know. Oh yeah. my gosh! So we were like, we were like battling neck and neck, and didn't even know it. <laughs> uh, that's crazy, what, man. Yeah, it was just one of those situations. It just didn't happen. And I ended up going with a group called the Heritage Singers, which oh, is yeah. kind, of like, kind of like truth without vibrato. So, <laughs> did, you have to, did you have to pay your way into Heritage Singers? Was it like Continental Singers? No, no actually, they, no. You know, they paid you and we got to stay in hotels. Oh, gosh. Uh, that's not the truth experience. <laughs> no, truth experience. I think we, my, first, my first year there, I made $20 a week. 
yeah and, and stayed in host homes of course you know that you know that whole journey heard all about it through all the oh, guys yeah. friends that used to be in truth <laughs> yeah yeah mm-hmm. i'm sure you travel with a lot of ex-truth people i'm thinking back you know to your uh to your new song days even and uh yeah yeah so yeah i'm getting ahead of myself but gosh i can't believe we had that that close of a connection even way back there so crazy 86 yes when i tried out 86 or 87 somewhere in there so you were living were you living in san diego in southern california at the time time, uh, my wife and i i we just finished being with uh the heritage singers Uh, i went into a small church to be a young adult pastor slash music minister slash youth pastors really small church yeah and, gotta do uh, it all yeah so i was there for a year and a half and that, that's when we kind of made the decision after truth had kind of come through and gone and uh we decided to move to nashville and just try to give it a shot you know we gave it we were going to give it two years and if nothing happened in two years then i was going to try to figure out what else i was going to do with my life so yeah yeah that's a story of just about every musician i mean even in truth you know, I, I was there, I, I got in the group in 87 and yeah. then around, man, sometime in late 89, I'm just like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I, I remember, um, I remember the Gaither vocal band was looking for a new lead singer or another, you know, another yeah. singer that we were all trying out for. I mean, we all were, you know, trying to cut <laughs> real quick demo tapes to send to Bill. And, and that was just one of those things you're like, well, it's a group. I could probably do that. And, yeah, I failed yeah. at that. Didn't they didn't choose me? Didn't choose anybody else in our group. But yeah, you're kind of like, all right. Well, I've given this a couple of years. Now what? Like, I don't, I don't really have any other skill set. At least you're working in a church at the time. You could go back to that. But yeah, you know, that was yeah. miles ahead of where I was. Well, it was one of those things where you're. I was just not very fulfilled. I mean, working in a church, as you well know, there's just a lot of politics involved, and yeah, uh, you gotta, you're trying to make people happy, and there's always going to be somebody that's not happy, and um, and it was, I, and I was a new Christian too. I just come uh-huh. out of, was playing in piano bars and I was a bartender. And so I left that world cause I radically got saved in 1987. And then the next thing, you know, I'm singing in this group surrounded by other Christians. And I'm like, I, I don't even know Daniel and the lion's den. Well, hang, hang on a second. You said that you auditioned for truth in 86. Uh-huh. Was that before you got saved? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's interesting. What's interesting is, is that I was very, I loved Christian music, but I had no relationship with Christ. In other words, I just loved the music. I loved truth music. I loved, uh, you know, back, if you go back into the seventies, David Meese, uh, I mean, yeah. I would, Green, all these guys I was listening to. Oh, uh, Andre Crouch. I mean, just, to God be the glory. I, people, I, I had Christian friends giving me Christian music, and I was listening to it, but I was far from the Lord. Yeah. So, so did you grow up in church? Was it, you know, like? Not really. I mean, I was, I went to a Baptist church when we moved to Lafayette, Louisiana. We lived in Miami at the time. I was 12 or 13, introduced, you know, to the Bible. and But I, I didn't, I just, I joined the church because my family joined. None of us actually joined because we loved Jesus. We just joined to be members of a church, huh. you know, so it, was, it was a very interesting. My dad was an atheist. He lived, he died an atheist. So it, it, it was very interesting to me, my journey. And even with Christian music, why I was so drawn to it. Uh, but I was, I was also drawn to, you know, Chicago, Toto. I mean, I had a lot of 
different kinds of music I listened to. But I did love the Christian music. I did. Wow, that's really interesting. It just it seems like God had even planted some of those seeds in your heart before you chose to follow him. I think that's really cool. Right. Yeah. Wow. Providence wow. again. Yeah. So you get to Nashville in what? Uh eighty ninety one. Ninety one, okay. Yeah. After so you spent how long with the Heritage Singers? A year with them and then a year and a half at this church. Okay. And, and then, then yeah. And then in ninety one, did you show up in Nashville with a demo tape? Did you have, yeah. you know, did you have a, a, a custom I had, project? I had a cassette, Andy. It was a really nice cassette. <laughs> Do you still have um, it? Surely you still have that somewhere. Yeah, it's tucked away somewhere. Yeah, it's the only one I have of it. Um, matter of fact, I think my wife went to a Larnell Harris concert in California, and she gave my cassette to Larnell. And one day, I was like, years later, I was sitting with Larnell in a car, and I was like, "Hey, do you remember this young lady giving you a cassette?" And he's like, no, I don't remember. <laughs> you just throw that stuff away yeah. when people really you, you, you know that. You know when you get to a certain point in your career that people's, the, the cassette tapes, it hits you at the autograph table or oh, somebody hands it to you as you're walking in, you know, getting back on the bus. And yeah. so funny story, funny story for us. That happened to us. Um, I think we were still in truth, maybe, and for him was about to take off or it was the very first year for him. I can't remember which one, but we were at Liberty University, and a couple of young dudes came up and gave us a cassette tape and said, "Hey, we're rappers. We would love for you to hear oh, our, to hear our music." And we put it on for about ten seconds and laughed our rear ends off. It was that was DC talk. He talk, yes. Oh yeah, and we're like, no, nah, this will, nobody's ever going to be into this. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Oh, oh, Travis Cottrell gave me his cassette. Uh, oh no the, way. Yeah, this is about, he was like a big fan of mine and, and uh, gave me this cassette. And I, I, I actually, uh, email, email, I didn't email him. I don't know if we, I sent him something saying, hey, this is really good. And, uh, but I don't remember if anything ever came out of that. Just <laughs> some encouragement. Yeah. But oh, he's had a nice career. Yeah, he's, he's done pretty well. So you get to Nashville in 91. Then what? Like, do you? So I became a waiter in a restaurant, of course, uh. the cooker. Oh, uh, so you, I probably met you there. Parkway Cooker, yes. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah, we're, we were there all the time. And then Reggie Ham, who was also a waiter at that time, and Reggie and I kind of struck up a friendship because we both were miserable. Because, you know, <laughs> he's working, he doesn't want to work there, I don't want to work there. He's a songwriter, I'm a songwriter artist, so we start kind of writing together. He gets, he gets a deal with Sean McSpadden. And that's a whole other long story. Um, I actually was trying to get that. And I brought in these songs. And then Sean was like, hey, who, who's this Reggie Ham guy? Because he was writing all the lyrics. Yeah. I'm like, oh, he's my lyricist. He goes, yeah, he says, I'd like to meet that guy. And he met, he met Reggie. He signed Reggie. He did not sign me. And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, you know, there again, the Lord was, was in it all. Because uh, about a year later in 93, Two years almost to the week that we moved there, um, I signed a publishing deal with Metagreen Music. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I was with them for, you know, three or four years, writing songs for artists, you know, trying to. Mm -hmm. I think who was, your first, first, who was your first big cut? Uh, East to West. Um, oh, yeah. Jay and Prince yeah. of Peace. Yeah, okay. that was their first single that actually went, it was the number one single. So, wow. And it was a Reggie Ham, Michael O'Brien. So. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. 
Yeah. And then when did you sign your first artist deal? So in 94, um, Troy Van Leer, I'm sure mm-hmm. you know. Oh, yeah, I know Troy. Sure. He, uh, he heard me because I was, you know, sending all these demos in. He was hearing my voice, and then he saw me at church sing one time, and he called me on the phone. They actually didn't want to sign me. They wanted to give me, like, that developmental deal. Uh-huh. And, and so I, uh, I refused. I had somebody tell me to say no. <laughs> I wanted to say yes so bad. You're like, guys, I've been developing for like the last 10 years here. (laughs) So I said no. And then like a week later, they call me back. They're like, we want to sign you. And so in 94, I was out on the road with Twyla Paris at that point uh, playing keyboards. Oh, yeah. Oh, so you, man, you you ran into a lot of old truth people. In fact, I just saw a picture. I just saw a picture online just a few minutes ago before we started this. And it was Twyla and Clay Cross. Yep. And, uh, uh, Phil Kagi, yep, and then the band was Eddie Seidenkrantz on keys, Dana Capolino on guitar, yeah, uh, Mike Mike Childers on drums, Dave Cleveland, uh, yep, and I was auxiliary keys. I'm in that picture. Yeah, oh so. wow, that's crazy. Yeah, crazy, crazy time. Man. But it was fun, and uh, you know, it was a great way to kick off being with Twilight because she was so humble. Yeah, um, that I was just like, wow, just being out, and she had just won Female Artist of the Year, and. She just was so calm about it all. Like, yeah, it's not a big deal. And uh, it really actually made a, an impact on my life because mm-hmm. I realized, you know, there are people in it and they're not in it just to get a double award. They, they, they're in it for different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, there was a group of, I think back to some of the people that really made an impact on me in that way that you just described. And I think about people like, like Twyla, uh, Steve Green. Um, my yeah. wife and I were just talking about him today and just the, just the maturity and the, just the, he was just Jesus, man. He just, you know, dude was just, just so kind and, and, but also, you know, he wasn't going to let you get away with anything. I mean, he was going to, he's going to tell you the truth about, about yeah. life and where you're heading. Yeah, uh, he the word, man. He just knows the word so well. And yeah. that was also somebody that really, really inspired me Yeah, uh, to want to go deeper. Yeah. Yeah, so you sign your deal in 94 and yep. make your first record. Who produced your first record? Paul Mills and uh, uh, Brian Lennox. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a good crew. Who's gone on? Brian died a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, but uh, Paul and I still, after all these years, 30 years, still work together. Um, he's he's an incredible talent. And mm-hmm. so he, and a, a true brother in the Lord. But yeah, they did a great job. As a matter of fact, Quick story, you were, it was a Benson Spectacular Night at GMA, and I, <laughs> I sang uh, two songs, Nuts Gonna Turn Me Around If Ever I Forget, and somebody said that you made like a beeline backstage, and you did, because I met you back there, and I was already a huge fan of you, you didn't even know it, uh, and you said, you encouraged me, like, dude, that was unbelievable, I, I don't remember exactly what you said, all I know is that I was just like, oh my gosh. Andy Christman just came back from for him. And I was telling my wife, I was just trying to, I was just trying to process it all. It's just like, this is not even, I, I feel like I'm living a dream here. Oh, anyway, man. It, was, it was a really cool moment. Well, no offense, but I honestly, I don't remember that. I'm yeah. glad I did. And yeah, I will say too. this, I will say this about me. I don't give those away. Like I don't, yes. you know, if, if something like really moves me or, I'm just like stunned by somebody's presentation. I will make an effort to 
yeah. just go, wow, that, that was did. great. Wow. And it was, uh, it made an impact. So wow. that's all right that you don't remember it. I just reached <laughs> about eight years ago and I just realized, you know, you know, being 58, almost 59 now, it's, uh, you just forget stuff. You just yeah. Oh. That's one thing I love about these conversations is reminding each other of these, of these moments that we may have forgotten about. Um, yeah. you know, that's, and I think that was so important back then for us to really root each other on and because there yeah. could be a sense of, you know, there could be a sense of competition or, oh, yeah. uh, you know, you felt like the marketplace was really small. So you had to get what was yours and you had to hold on to it. You know, and those were obviously short sighted ideas yeah. and mentalities of, you know, we were younger and all trying to prove ourselves and make our way. But I'm just grateful for the friendships that that lasted over time because you do get to a certain point yeah. in your career and in your life where you realize it's, it really is just about the relationships. It's, yeah. it, it's, you know, the career can come and go and you're really not in charge of it anyway. You can't right. force people to love your music or buy your product or come to your concerts. You can just right. do what's in front of you and, and hopefully, you know, make some really good friends along the way. That's interesting. Cause I never really ever viewed anybody that was a group as competition, but I used to always like look at a male artist and think, Oh man. And I was sitting down with Greg long one day at Cracker Barrel. And I was telling, I was opening my heart to Greg saying, man, you know, I just, I, I do struggle. That's why I want to get, you know, get to uh, eat with you, get to know you better. So, I, you know, we'd be friends. And I said, do you, do you have, do you have that problem? And Greg looked at me, he goes, yeah, no, I've never had that problem before. And I don't really talk <laughs> oh my gosh he's a he's a riot man he's a hoot man yeah he is. And, and i don't i don't yeah he probably was telling the truth no he was he was yeah. i mean he just totally said yeah i never really had a problem my dad kind of instilled in me you know not to 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 worry about all that stuff so who are the who are your friends in nashville during that time like who did you hang out with and have community with so, I mean, Reggie was pretty big because we, we did a lot of writing together, and uh, so I hung with him a lot. Um, Chris Thomason, mm -hmm. uh, producer um, at the time. Uh, Chris Rice. Uh, oh, yeah. He, he was in a, a Bible study uh, that I was in. See, they kind of introduced me to all these truth people. At that point, Lisa Piper, who was actually Lisa Cochran, Paul mm -hmm. Cochran, just a bunch of ex-truth people who lived and it was this core of people and we would all get together and hang out and and i was just like how am i even getting to do this and it was only because of chris because he's the one he was going to produce my record uh this was early on when we first moved there and that's how we kind of got to get in this circle but tim marshall and yeah. joyce uh, -huh. uh they, they got married and joyce was my booking agent and tim was just a dear friend of mine and we they were like our best friends and we started having kids. They were at our birthday parties. It was, yeah, small world, but but mostly truth, ex-truth people. Wow. So, well, you, yeah, that's one of the things is you can't tell the story of Christian music without truth. I mean, that was such a big. I mean, they they they. I, I, Jody McBrayer uh, was just on the uh, was just on the podcast, and we talked about how we used to call truth um, Christian music boot camp. Yeah, you know, and Roger Breland yeah. never really, he never really liked that. It, it, but it's true, you know, you, you know, and it wasn't just the vocalist that ended up in Nashville. It was all the players and, and yeah. you know, sound techs and lighting techs and bus drivers and I mean, it was, 
Nashville Christian the Christian music scene in Nashville was populated with X Truth. Okay, we'll we'll get off of that for now. Uh, I want to go back to your career and your solo career. Uh, You know, tell me, tell me just a little bit of what your journey was like. You know, with your initial deal at Benson and and how that went for the first few records. I mean, I had minimal minimal success. I mean, I did have number ones. I think I had like eight number ones on radio. That's great. Three to four period of time. Mm -hmm. Um, I was traveling and opening up for all these different groups, Mark Lauer, Stephen Curtis Chapman. Never got to open up for you guys, but um, always wanted to. Point of Grace. It was just a, it was just this machine. I feel like it was a machine and they knew what they do. So you could get up for new artists of the year. And then I was up for new artists of the year and got to sing on on the show. Yeah. Who won that year? uh, uh, Jars of Clay. Oh gosh. Yeah. You weren't going to beat them. Yeah. Mark. Nobody was. Yeah, he, he had made some kind of funny remark about if the Lord had even run. Charles <laughs> That's true. Probably so, true. Uh, in 98, I finished my third project, and there's a lot of changes. At that time, I had eight A&Rs. Uh, oh, wow. They had, you know, Wilson was going through a lot. Wow. The president changed. Mm-hmm. I think you guys were on your soon on your way off mm-hmm. to Washington or whatever. Yeah. And I, they released the song, Let There Be Light, and it just tanked. And on the, in the words of Brian Duncan, I was on the pinnacle <laughs> of my decline. <laughs> and uh, and I, I played uh, golf with, with Brian Duncan later on when I was a new song. So in 99, I was like, I was, what am I going to do? I don't have a record label. Nobody's really interested. Grant Cunningham was at Sparrow, but he knew that I didn't sell enough to be able to be one of their artists. And so it was kind of like, what am I going to do? Next thing you know, Russ Lee is leaving New Song. I had opened up for New Song that first 95 year, 80, 80 concerts, got to know Eddie. Yeah. And uh, so I got the call from Eddie. It's a summer jam. And he said, hey, I want you to come out. We know you can sing, but can you give an altar call? And I was like, well, I've done it before, so I'm happy to give it a shot. And he's like, well, come on out. So I came out. And my audition was not my voice. My audition was the altar call. And there was about 5,000 people there that night. And I, I just kind of shared my testimony in about 15 minutes. And I think like 700 people came forward. Wow. And, uh, and then at, after that night, it was like, yeah, you're, you're what we're looking for. So I pretty much started just traveling with new song. We started working on a new record. It's the one that had Christmas shoes on it as a like a bonus track. Yeah. And Red Letter Day and all these songs I ended up singing. And that was a huge record. Yeah, it was a big record. Sold a lot. And Chris Harris was producing some of it. And another guy, Brian Tankersley, who passed away. Uh-huh. Yeah. He, he produced some. And so it was had some really good radio success. And then we, the next thing you know, we're making Christmas shoes. Uh, a Christmas record, and so that kind of took off for like six years. But nobody really knew that my marriage was on the brink of divorce. Oh wow! We had had our fourth child, and in '99, and I, my wife was bipolar, going through more depression than the manic, and uh, I was on the road 250, you know, at least a year. If I wasn't on the road, I was in the studio recording. So I was just away. My kids yeah. didn't. Um, I was always on the bus. So where's daddy? Daddy's on the bus. 
And uh, so I'm living the dream, uh, and my family's falling apart at home. Hmm. And so just weighing that out, you know, you think, oh, my calling is my, whatever my calling is, it's my job. You know, it's got to be my job. Well, first and foremost, your job is your family. Yeah, that's right. How, how do you weigh that out? Seriously, that's right. you know, you need to love your wife as Christ of the church and raise your up kids. And, and uh, so I was struggling for years over this and finally just got convicted. I had hidden sin that nobody knew about. Um, and I confessed it not only to my wife, but the Lord. I was reading the word. Um, I was in accountability groups. I was, I mean, it was just a difficult season of my life. And that's why I love Ephesians chapter two, where it says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead on our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And it talks about the grace of God right after that. And man, I'm, I'm telling you, Andy, it was like I knew exactly what I needed to do. I needed to leave the group. I needed to call my own schedule. And this was right after the rescue DVD and the CD had come out and it was exploding. It was on yeah. the mm -hmm. And I, I told Eddie, I got, I'm, I got to go. And he goes, what? And I said, I got to go. He goes, wait a minute. We just recorded this brand new CD. You got, you know, we got a number one single out. In. What, what are you doing? And I said, I need, my family needs me. I need to get home. Was there a person and, in your life that, that kind of called you on it that was, was close to you that said, Hey, your house is on fire. You need to do something about it. That, the accountability group, which was a, a, a bunch of men and we were doing biblical counseling, but I would say my pastor was a part of that. I was going to church called new song at the time. <laughs> and <laughs> get away uh, from it. yeah. And then, and just men in my life who were calling me on stuff and like, man, Michael, you seem like very self-driven, self-driven. Mm. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, I, I guess I am. And, you know, marriage is about dying to self. It's about thinking, you know, considering others more important than yourself. And, and, uh, so I, and it's not like I can be honest with you, Andy, I had a situation where I was actually working on a project, a love song record to honor my wife and our relationship. And I had Columbia records and Warner brother records. It was, it was not a Christian record. It was just a kind of a sappy love song, Michael Buble kind of a record. Uh, and there was this carrot being dangled out in front of me. And I don't even know why I was even considering it because they were talking about me going out for and opening up for Nora Jones. So I'm going to go back to the same life yeah. that I was trying to get out of. So I stepped out a new song with no job, with no booking agent, with nothing. I, I was completely, and when I stepped out, everything fell to the wayside. Any, there was, there was nothing on the table. It was just me and a bunch of songs. And so Brian Lennox and I came together and I raised support. I raised $90,000 to this project. Wow. Which is a lot of money back then. A lot of money. Yeah. It's a lot of money today, but especially back then. And I, and I was able to do the project. And next thing you know, Family Life Today, Billy Graham Association. Um, I just started sharing my story. And they're like, "Can you? would, would you mind doing a special on, on national television. And were you ready to do that? I mean, having just walked through that season in your life, were you ready to share all of that? And Heidi and I were ready at that point. It had been yeah. over a year and God had done a lot of healing in our marriage and, and we were kind of walking it out. 2004 was actually starting really getting a lot better. But this is 2006. 
So it just took a took a while for me to get out a new song because I didn't want to leave them hanging. Yeah. So, so yeah, it opened up a lot of amazing opportunities for us to actually pour into couples and and tell them our story and how God had saved our marriage and what it looked like. And so yeah, it was uh it was God's timing, and we we just did it by ourselves. We didn't have a record label, and, and uh, I mean it, it did really really well. And had a distributor it was in Targets and all these different places, and you know, for a, an indie project, it was it was pretty successful. Wow, wow, yeah. that's really cool. How and you you talk about the grace and mercy of God. It's not just that God is, you know, He doesn't just forgive you and restore you, but He's also got something for you mm-hmm. that if you if you'll take a step of faith and just go, hey, I got to figure this out. This is I've got to take care of my family. I've got to get this right. I've got to be repentant and and get to the other side of this, and you yeah. know God won't typically, you know the 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 people that I know and the situations I've even been through, uh, God's typically not just like, yeah, great, thanks for doing all that. Now you're just going to go over here and starve. <laughs> you know he yeah. he does. He's so he's so gracious to have something for you and to sustain yeah. you as you move into this next season of your life. So that was. So 2006, now you're probably just as busy as you ever were with opportunities to share your story and your new music. Yeah, yeah actually, um, even over the last three, it's been 16 years since I've left New Song, 16, 17 now. And uh, even these last five years have probably, I've been more busy than I ever have been. Um, and I can only attribute that to, once again, this God's sustaining grace in my life that you know, I'm an itinerant music minister. I do conferences. I do all these different things, but just trying to be faithful with the things that God has given me in the relationship that He is. I bet my dog's about to bark. No, that's my, okay. Yeah, I, if you knew how many dogs barked on this podcast, you'd be like, "Come on, buddy, tell me what you got." <laughs> well, it's about to happen. But all that to say, I just can't believe after this amount of time. So I just celebrated 28 years in full-time ministry, uh-huh. but I started in 88, so that's 35 years. Wow. Um, yeah, so Congrats. it's an awful long time. And, and I, yeah, thanks. I, I'm just very grateful to still be able to do it. You know? But isn't that cool, though? I've experienced this as well, that you know, when you're first starting out, you can just see that one thing, right? I have to make a record. Yeah. I, have to get a, I have to get a deal, and I have to make a record, and that's <laughs> it. And if that doesn't happen, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then yeah. when it does happen, you go, I have to hold on to this. Like, this is who I am. And if yeah. I don't have this, I'm a failure and, you know, I have to start all over again. And you get to our age, I'm 57. And, yeah. you know, I get to this point in my career where I've I realized how many tools I do have that God has helped me put in my tool belt. And Absolutely. the the opportunities that are out there for guys like us is is pretty mind-blowing. and. Yeah. You know, I have a lot of friends and a lot of uh, older worship pastors that I that I mentor and consult with that are starting to panic at a certain age, whether it be in their late 30s, mm-hmm. early 40s, even moving into their 50s, just going, this is all I've done my whole life. I don't, and at some point, I'm going to be put out to pasture and nobody's going to want me anymore. And a lot mm-hmm. of that, in my opinion, is just mindset. It's just, it's it's thinking that, God's calling and God's faithfulness has a shelf life, and it's just not true. Yeah. And, you know, did we make all the right decisions early in our career? Did we, you know, could we have set ourselves up a little better uh, professionally? 
to be where we are now? Well, of course, you know, if we had perfect hindsight and could see the future, yeah, yeah, we would have set ourselves up for, um, you know, some different things at the time in our lives. But God knew. God, God always has a place for men and women that He's gifted and called to have opportunities. Yeah. If they'll just take them and not and not stress out about it, and it's easier said than done. Yeah. But uh, I, I just love hearing your story because it mirrors mine as far as you know, uh, not having the same career you had back in the '90s. But yet now you're busier right. than ever doing all of these things that that God is can we say surprised you with because you wouldn't have pictured this thirty years ago, right? There's no uh, way. I I get surprised every time I get an email asking me to come and and uh, and it doesn't matter, as you would know, it doesn't matter if it's I'm singing in front of fifty people or if I'm singing in front of five hundred or five thousand. Uh I I'm like, well, I get to do this. I get to to minister. I can, you know, I know God's word, so I can lead people and and uh, and worship to Him. And there's not like an, an agenda per se that you know. I I don't go to my rec- I don't even have what I call record sales. I just have a table where there's you can get some streaming. I don't go there because I don't want to think about it. I just yeah. want to be available. And how do you, how do I minister to the the people that God has brought out to to this concert or this church service or so and i'm getting to meet a lot of great great people i most of my work a lot of my work is at billy graham association they have a place called the cove yeah and it's uh just a great they bring pastors in they minister to them they bring the military in and so i'll do like 12 or 13 things a year there and meet so many people and the next thing you know they're like hey would you come to my church and it's just kind of like, it's just ministry. My wife used to say this all the time. Ministry happens. You don't have to make it happen. Right. You know, a lot of people are like, I got to make this. I got to do this that thing we were talking about earlier. It, it just literally happens when you start having conversations and talking about the Lord and what he's doing in your life. And uh, so it's been, it's been really amazing to watch and see. So, well, uh, I want to ask this. I want to ask this question uh, because this is the same story. For so many of us, I sat down with Clay Cross. We had the same conversation. Um, uh, Jody McBrayer, same conversation. Greg and Jana Long, same conversation. The Katina is the same conversation. Yeah. Is that at some point uh, you you uh, transition from, well, for lack of a better way of putting it, from Christian music to worship music, and you know they. They, they still are basically the same, but you and I know, and so many of us know the difference between, you know, the artist thing and then getting up and leading a church in worship. Where was that turn for gotcha. you? Is there, was there a point that you found a place on a on stage at a church? I know you say you do itinerant uh, ministry, but when was yeah. that worship turn for you and kind of a that, that, that big turn for you in your life? So... Uh, the AACC, which is the American Association of Christian Counselors, Tim Clinton, uh, does these women's conferences called Extraordinary Women, and he does a men's conference, and then he does also conferences for his counselors. And what happened was I was with New Song in, ni- in 2006, and we sang at this uh, Opryland Hotel, big 7,000 counselors. And the next year, he wanted me to come back because he heard I had left. And said he wanted me to come back and do a concert for his counselors. Where only like fifteen people showed up. It was a small group. <laughs> wow! And uh, like, hey, 
hey, you know, Charles Billingsley does this, but would you be willing to do half of it and lead in worship? And, and then another, every once in a while, you can do a talk song. Talk about another ex-New uh, Song member. Yeah, there you go, Charles. So Charles was doing it, and then he was doing all the women's conferences. Well, he ended up doing Women of Joy. I ended up taking over extraordinary women conferences, and I would lead in worship, but I would also be an artist, which means you know you lead in worship, and then maybe you do a, a really thought-provoking song before the speaker comes up. So I have still been that slash, the worship leader more, 80%, 20% artist. And I still do that even now to this day. If I'm in a church, I'll lead worship, but they may give me a song to connect on some type of level. Yeah, we and, call that uh, uh, so special music in the Baptist church. Yes, yeah, sir, that's it. <laughs> special or, music. Or the offertory. Yeah, I probably should have said yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the offertory, there you go. So, yeah, I just I've tried to keep that identity because I still feel like there's uh, there's a place for that. But it's very hard, as you would know, to to teach that because it seems like that's old school. Yeah, it's very old school. Just do the worship stuff. And uh, typically it's just me and a piano. I don't have a band with me unless I'm with doing the big, big events. And I'd rather just be at a piano because I feel like they sing a lot better when it's just me and them, and I'm not trying to overwhelm them. Not, not saying yeah. that there's anything wrong with having a band. There's not. No, um, I, it's just for the, me when I'm leading. Yeah, I have some smaller churches that I've really become invested in uh, over the last decade or so that I love just taking my acoustic guitar. It's just me and my acoustic going in for Sunday morning, and it's really refreshing for me just to yeah. not be on a click, yeah. not have a track behind me, I can go wherever I want to go. If the Holy oh. Spirit goes, says go that way. In fact, we there's this little church down in uh, central Oklahoma that I go to quite a bit. And we ended up in a Sunday morning hymn sing. I did uh, I did a song. And I, it reminded us of a bunch of hymns. And I said, hey, anybody remember that? And so like for the next, I said, anybody remember, <laughs> you know, Sunday night hymn sings? And, and everybody started raising their hand. And they just start calling out songs. And it's like, you know, you those are those things that you don't really get in you know, mega church corporate worship or yeah. most churches in America, you're so programmed. Yeah, and, and I just, and again, I tell artists all the time and other worship leaders, I'm like, find those places where you can go and just kind of, yeah. you know, be under the radar a little bit and be free and explore maybe what God has to say through you. Uh, I, yeah, I, I can, I can understand that. Those are, yes. those are some of my favorite moments as a, as a worship leader, as an artist right now. Yeah, I was up in Michigan, and this small, quick story, but it was a very small church. It was, it was a Christmas concert, and there was, I think, 20 people there. And the guy was so, he had just had a heart attack, and and he had just survived it. He was so thankful that I came. It was like two days after his heart attack. And they were all sitting there, and I just, at the end, um, just started singing, I think, oh, come let us adore him or whatever. And I'm telling you, it, it was one of the most special moments that I can even remember uh, I didn't. I didn't even sing. I was just listening to them, and they were singing harmonies, and it was so heartfelt, and it was so spirit led. And I just, yeah, just I was like, this is why you know when when we come together and we can have that common bond, and we are in unity, and uh, it's not even the greatest voices; it, it's just voices singing unto the Lord. I mean, do you know the uh, movie Chariots of Fire? Oh, where his sister comes up to him and says, I'm on the mission field. And he said, I feel God's pleasure when I run. 
Yeah. I, I've been using this. I feel God's pleasure when I lead God's people in worship. It's, mm. it's just one of my greatest joys and privileges. Wow. So, I'm going to steal yeah. that. I love that. That's where that's really wonderful. Okay. I will. I'll give you credit though. <laughs> so I want to move on now to, um, um, O'Brien, uh, version two. I mean, you've, you know, uh, you've got a next generation that's, that's making their own way in the Christian music oh, industry. Yeah. yeah. My son, Joseph, you know, he, he felt like he needed to, to go on America's got talent in 2018. And that's kind of what kind of, he kind of did that against our will, to be honest with you. And oh, he wow. would tell you that mom and dad want him to go on that show just because it's not family friendly. And, you know, it's just a worldly perspective sure. you know, going into that world. But, you know, he still wanted to do it. He felt like he needed to give God a little help with his career, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, but all that to say, you know, it kind of gave him this platform. And to be honest, he was being real faithful. Uh, with you know the he would do a lot of Instagram lives and stuff. Uh -huh. He was talking about the Lord and really kind of neat. Him and his brother Timmy, he went to he ended up going to Liberty University, and then you'll think this is funny because uh, he gets a call from Toby Mac. This yeah. is like two years ago. He's on the phone with Toby, and he's and you know he's just talking, and Toby's like finally he's like Joseph. He says I don't call people on the phone unless I want to sign them to a record deal <laughs> and Joseph's like oh oh yeah okay you know like he he just was clueless you know he's i guess he just thought toby was going to call him on the phone but he ended up yeah signing with with toby's label he's been on there the last couple of years but as you know the industry is you know he's looked at my life and go i want to do what my dad did you know and get on tours and do all this stuff go on radio and it's really not like That's, that now it doesn't it's really, really work like that anymore now huh so he has a great core of, I think he's got like a half a million Spotify listeners wow. every month. Wow. So he's got a really good core audience, got a lot of followers on Instagram. And he's just trying to, he might have to get another job for a while <laughs> until until this all kind of comes. I, get, I mean, I have no idea. I, my, my thing in my, my son's life is, son, are you writing material that's God glorifying? Or, or don't play the game. Be you know, just try to be as real as possible. Be thankful. Be faithful to yeah. the church. Yeah. Because ultimately, when your career runs dry, if you haven't poured in the church, they're not going to pour into you. And uh, and I'm not saying to use the church. I think that's a wrong way to do it. Like, oh, I got to use the church. No, but we know that the it's the body of Christ. Christian music should be about the body of Christ. Unfortunately, as you well know, it's not uh, in a lot of ways. Not, it's very money-driven. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, all that to say, he he's doing it. My other son, Timmy, he's also an artist, Timmy O'Brien. He's got cool music, very rhythmic. And then my daughter, she's sung my projects. She's got an opera voice, but she also can sound like Sarah McLaughlin. But she's got oh, wow. three or two grandkids away. You know, that's mm -hmm. this is why we're living in Virginia. Uh, we moved from Nashville. We were there 32 years, moved to Virginia five months ago so that we could be close to the grandkids. Good so for you. That's, but yeah, all my kids are kind of musical, and uh, except my one one boy, Mikey, he uh, he's got his own overthrow disc golf. Is is a disc golf channel on YouTube? No who, who way! Ever, ever thought you could make a living? Wow! That's yeah, all over the map, he's, man. He's got this channel. That's, that's incredible. Yeah, he's he's kind of, yeah. So he's just kind of doing his own thing on, on there. But so but did yeah, you I ever? Mean, just 
Did you ever Very, encourage your kid? Did you encourage your kids or discourage them from chasing the music industry kind of thing? I hate to say it. I only encouraged Joseph. I did not encourage Mikey, and Mikey kind of wanted to. He really could have been a worship leader and been fine. Uh, and then I kind of discouraged Timmy, but then all of a sudden I started listening to Timmy's stuff, and I'm like, okay, Timmy, you're he's very gifted. So I started pouring into him too. But he's different. He's not like Joseph. And so they got their own little music thing going on. And, and then my daughter really just wants to be a stay-at-home mom and, and take care of the, the kiddos. So um, I'm not going to try to – just have her every once in a while come out and sing with me. And do you have yeah, just right. the, do, uh, do you have two just the two grandkids now? So two and then one on the way right now. And so isn't, I'll have three. Isn't you that the it? best life? Yeah, I've got five. You, oh yeah. 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 It's it's something special, man. It really and, you is. You know, you can try to tell people about it, but you, it's it always falls flat and they always think, Oh man, you're <laughs> whatever. So I, I don't even try to even talk about it that much. Yeah, uh, but oh, yeah, man. Since you we can talk about it. We can yeah. talk about it. We can brag about our grandkids. They're the best. I, I, it's God's. It's God's reward for making it through his parents, and you know, uh, keeping <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> not 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 completely falling apart. But oh yeah, that grandkids are the best. <laughs> yeah, that's that's good. Well, what's on the horizon for you? Tell me, tell me well, what's happening. You know, in the near future. Uh, what projects uh, are you working on? What can we look yeah. forward to? Well, I've written like 14 instrumental songs. I've, I've always, people ask me what I listen to when I'm in the car. A lot of times I'm listening to movie, movie themes, you know, like you know, Forrest Gump, a lot of the music stuff that you hear piano. And, and so I've written a lot of very melodic uh, melodies that, you know, I want to put together because I've had a lot of people ask me, why don't you do an instrumental record? So, I've got all the songs. I just need to do it. And then I also really would love to do more of a traditional uh, worship project, probably more hymns. And um, there's a new song. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's called uh, His Mercy is More. Oh, yeah. By Matt Papa and mm -hmm. uh, Matt, Boswell. Uh, Matt Boswell. Yeah. And uh, so doing some kind of some of those kinds of songs that I lead a lot already. And uh, so I want to do that project too. So those two are in the future, Lord willing, and get it out there. and Just continue doing this as long as the Lord allow me. I remember asking Steve Green that very question because he's still doing it, just not as much. But um, he's he says, yeah, I mean, he's wanting now to spend more time with his grandkids. So he's going back and forth from Atlanta to Missouri or whatever it is. And, um, and I'm sure I'll slow down, but right now it just seems like I'm getting more opportunities to minister. And, so I'll just keep on doing it until he says no more. Hey, thanks for listening. Join me every Monday for new stories from the Christian music industry and beyond. And if you want more content like this, along with a lot of great music, join me for Worship with Andy Christman, airing on 500 stations around the world every weekend. And when you get a sec, run over to my website, andychristman.net for information about my professional vocal coaching and an incredible new resource for worship pastors called The Worship Table. See you next time on the One Degree of Andy podcast. One Degree of Andy, sponsored by Yellowbox. Yellowbox is a full-service creative agency and an extension of creative teams all across the nation. Whether you need a brand identity developed or a video team capturing your event, Yellowbox can help. 
They cover everything from web development and design to video production and strategy. Yellowbox comes alongside your team on whatever creative projects you might be working on to see them through to their fullest potential. If you'd like to know more about Yellowbox, follow them on social media at Hello Yellowbox or shoot them an email at hello at yellowbox.co. 